This is your host, Caitlin Cook, and welcome back to another episode of the Dead Kate Bounce Experience. This week's guest is Dan Krusen. As market president and director of specialty lending at Huntington Valley Bank, Krusen is building commercial and specialty lending divisions, as well as leading the development of several new products, including a crypto stablecoin funded participation facility. Dan and I discuss how Huntington Valley Bank, a publicly traded company and highly regulated broker dealer that has provided traditional consumer and commercial banking services since 1871, facilitated the first ever integration between a traditional bank and decentralized finance protocol. MakerDAO, a fully crypto native DAO or decentralized autonomous organization, and the creators of the $5 billion market cap stablecoin DAI, which is, in MakerDAO's words, the first unbiased currency, opened up a $100 million DAI loan to Huntington Valley Bank. We provide an overview of DAO structure for those who are unfamiliar, discuss the rules and guardrails that HVB implemented and abided by to make this deal happen, the complex considerations of working with a, by definition, decentralized organization, and more. This story is an important showcase of the ways in which highly regulated traditional institutions are beginning to test the waters, dipping their toes into the growing world of crypto and decentralized finance. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Dan. All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for asking me, Caitlin. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. So I, you know, kind of beating a dead horse on this for anyone who listens to the podcast, but everything that I try to talk about on here is really just at the intersection of traditional finance and this crazy DeFi world that we find ourselves in, or at least I find myself very deeply rooted in now. And one of the most interesting headlines that I've seen in a while, which is saying a lot, um, and this is a little bit of an older headline in crypto times. I think this was what, August of 2022, uh, was MakerDAO opens a $100 million DAI loan to Huntington Valley Bank. So straight in the middle, a DAO and a bank doing some sort of transaction, $100 million Never heard of anything like this before in my life. And I want to get into that with you today. So maybe let's kick things off. Probably a little bit easier to explain than, you know, the MakerDAO side of things, but maybe a little bit of background on HVB, your role within the firm, and then we can get into, you know, how this deal with Maker came about, because this is a super interesting story that I want to tell people about. Great. Great. Well, again, yeah, thanks again. Um, So if I'll start maybe at the beginning about, you know, it's a little bit about the bank, about myself. So I'm a career commercial banker, 20 years as a banker, um, different areas of different, you know, institutions, even, you know, stepping outside of the bank at one point, do some consulting work. Um, But um, Huntington Valley Bank itself is about a half a billion dollar, $600 million community bank based here in Pennsylvania, 150 years old. Um, I mean, we are the type of institution that is across the whole nation, has been around forever. You know, we take people's deposits, 
you know, we lend it out in mortgages and support businesses and all that sort of thing. I mean, not, nothing really super fancy. Like there's no uh, you know, investment banking, anything like that. I mean, it is a, a bread and butter staple of like American culture. Um, I joined the bank about three years ago um, because we were building a commercial lending division. And um, it, as part of that, you really want to have some specialists on hand who understand commercial lending because it's an easy way to get uh, uh, in trouble as an institution if you you know go into any type of market that you don't understand. Like you know, traditionally speaking, like a like a community bank, for instance, just do it on a real estate basis, geography. Like you know, we wouldn't go lend in California, right? It just wouldn't happen because you know we know our market here in Pennsylvania and the surrounding uh, markets. So we try to stick to to our knitting and what we know. That being said, um, Huntington Valley Bank is also a very entrepreneurial company um, and innovative, and we try to nurture ideas. And so we have an e-commerce bank that we also have uh, inside the institution. We have a digital consumer lending inside the institution. You know, we're probably one of the largest construction lenders in Philadelphia. You know, so there's a lot of we have a specialty finance. I I run especially finance. Um, we run a specialty finance area that has like lender finance where we'd lend the other lenders. So there's a lot of different areas where we're, we're tr we try to be creative and, um, and um, look forward, you know, but while staying within what a community bank is. It's refreshing to hear traditional institutions looking forward. <laughs> and I think the way that you guys have gone about it, at least in, you know, the situation I want to talk about today is really, really, unusual. And I mean that in a good way, because I do think that being open-minded and seeing, you know, skating where the puck is going is really important. And you see a lot of more, more people on the legacy institution side, legacy finance side, sort of reject a lot of the new trends that come about crypto being one for sure. Although I wouldn't necessarily call it a trend <laughs> um, anymore, but how did the deal with MakerDAO come about and what were the logistics of that deal? I know we can talk about, you know, the guardrails around how you were creating rules for the deal, why why this idea came out uh, about to begin with working with the DAO. There's a lot to cover there, but what was the original, you know, push for starting a conversation with Maker? Sure. Um, if, if I might add like one quick thing is that... Um, Going back to 9-11, um, when all the planes in the country were grounded, uh, banks realized that they couldn't process transactions because literally planes carried checks, physical checks across the country in order to be processed at the different you know, federal reserves. So out of that experience came a digitization of the industry. So sorry, with like Check 21 and um, the Patriot Act and all that like sort of stuff. That led to like mobile depositing and, and all those sort of things that we we take for granted today. I see this, the crypto, and we see this as the crypto as the continued evolution of that, you know, ongoing digital um, ecosystem that banks will be a part of at some point. The financial system will be a part of. Um, so it's, it's just kind of interesting. This is this has started a long time ago, and everybody's gonna be on board with it at some point. Um, so this in particular, though. All, all that being said, like uh, none of us at, at HVB had a uh, experience or an expertise in crypto. Certainly, we've all dabbled in it and invested on the side. Um, but um, understanding the differences between you know a stable coin and a you know a you know a non-stable coin, some of the other cryptocurrencies that are out there, or the different you know protocols, there was really not a lot of understanding about any of that. You know, so this opportunity when it came into the institution. 
And it came into the bank because people knew that we foster this environment of you know, innovation. So we got introduced to um, some folks who were out, um, you know, internally, you know, going backwards, internally at MakerDAO, there was a mandate to look at real world assets uh, to, to essentially take the um, um, debt vaults that were entirely crypto native and start bringing in some sort of non-crypto um, investment opportunities for a variety of reasons, diversification of asset class, income, you know, all, all the reasons that people for you know, 100 years have diversified investments. So we got introduced to um, one of the teams that was um, going down this path who had already, uh, uh, you know, did one of these transactions with a, you know, private um, uh, company. And, uh, but it was interesting because when we first were introduced to this thing, we're all looking at this and, and we're coming at this again, you know, fairly progressive, fairly like, you know, forward thinking and still saying like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, and it was, it coincided this first meeting with, I was going down to Miami for Art Basel. And this is November, 2021, I think, right? Yeah, 2021. And so that it was a huge, the Art Basel that year, the first week of December was a huge crypto event. And so like I had this call, I go down to Art Basel, all of a sudden there's, you know, there, you're meeting all these people and then, you, you know, and learned a little bit about like the stable coins and the DAOs and you know everything that they're doing. And they, you realize, oh, wow, like this is really like here, like this is cutting edge. So we came home and, you know, picked up the phone, had a conversation. And then that call with those two guys led into like hours of conversation of how, how can we make this work? How can, how can a bank and a DAO work together to each accomplish the different goals that they want to accomplish? And, um, and, and, you know, we threw out a whole bunch of different ideas, you know, nine out of 10 of them like went nowhere. Um, but it was just like, kind of like the start of this just really exciting process. And I feel like we should back up a little bit and, you know, maybe this is me being a little bit unorganized, but for the people who don't know, right? Because this is more for the traditional crowd, right? On your side of things. What is a DAO? And how is Maker, you know, you and I know Maker has been around for a very long time, especially in crypto, crypto years, right? Um, anyone in the space is familiar with crypto or is, is familiar with Maker, is familiar with DAI. But for those who don't know, what is Maker's role within the crypto space? And generally speaking, what is a DAO? Because I think the acronyms in crypto tend to get people really, right, really overwhelmed right. when trying to learn, even though the concepts themselves aren't necessarily always as complex as they seem. Sure. And uh, I should offer a disclaimer that I am uh, not an expert. There are people who are who are far, far smarter than me who understand the crypto space and blockchain and all that sort of thing. And, and I would defer to all those folks. Um, but in general, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. So the opposite of a DAO is like us, our, our bank. We have a board of directors, we have a CEO, we have a president, a C-suite, right? You know who is who are the ultimate authorities in the institution. It's a centralized institution. The DAO is, is, is theoretically an entirely democratic organization. So if you have uh, Maker, because um, Maker has... Uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of like how to describe it. Like, so they have two things. They have a product, which is DAI, which is, you know, DAI, the stable coin. But then they also have maker tokens, which are the governance tokens. So anybody who owns governance tokens in maker has a vote in maker. So, and I, I forget how, what the, you know, the number is, how many like hundreds of thousands there are, but 
you know, theoretically, like, I mean, you could have hundreds of thousands of people voting for whatever the, you know, the direction of maker and the different, you know, um, opportunities that they are, uh, or just, or just everyday governance. So, so it's the idea of like a distributed management, a distributed oversight organization versus like a centralized, you know, more traditional organization. Yeah, no, that, that was a good description too. So for, for not being a crypto expert, <laughs> but yeah, no, all, all of the main points, right? So on the distributed part, people anywhere around the world, it doesn't matter where, where you're from, who you are, what your background is. Anyone that has this token has the ability to drive impact and, you know, provide input. And, you know, within DAO structures, generally speaking, because I do want to talk about this with the proposal for HVP and Maker, um, these are typically run through what's called a forum. And if you are a token holder, you know, people can propose different sort of, you know, movements or initiatives for the DAO. The people within the DAO have a right to vote, like you said, and the decisions really do get moved forward like that. And that's the process, generally speaking, for, you know, how changes are made. So it's a really interesting way to think about things. There are a lot of, you know, DAOs that may not run quite the way that they're intended to, and they may not last. But for the ones that do, it's really, really based upon that synchronicity between many, many different parties, rather than having, you know, five people at the top that are driving decision making, even if they're getting input from others, the decisions come directly from that small group. This is much more collective. So very interesting. I'm I'm wrong, but I think that Maker is the only major stable coin that is a DAO, right? Because then so. yeah. So yeah. so it's a little it's a it's a unique position even for for Maker um, to be this you know decentralized you know, organization and also one of the major stable coins in the world. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting position for them to be into, right? And again, that's why everyone knows Maker somehow, <laughs> uh, whether it's through Dai, whether it's you know kind of the the innovations that they've had around. DAO structure as a whole. Um, and I think kind of more first movers on that front as well from yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I, which, you know, using that as the baseline, right? You have this completely decentralized, very Web3 native organization of sorts of all of these different people. And then you have a public company, SEC, FDIC registered broker dealer bank. How did that process work? And what was, um, I guess coming to a decision on, you said that you had, you know, 10 different crazy ideas of how you might be able to work together for the people right. who aren't as familiar with, you know, I say the headline, a hundred million dollar loan to the bank. What were the logistics of that deal? And how does a public company like HVB actually get to the point of being able to work with the DAO? That's probably a little bit of a longer conversation that we can get into as well. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> the, um, so, um, the let me let me see a word to back up. So the, so in inside a maker, they have something called um, the MIP system. So it's a maker improvement program. So if you, as you mentioned, if anybody wants to propose some sort of program or activity to move maker in a certain direction, they 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 go through this MIP process, and maker has a very specific structure on how that happens. So. Um, we have a public MIP out there um, that was filed, I think, back in May of, of last year that anybody can go to and read. And that's, that's one of the, the most beautiful things about this whole thing is everything is public, right? So there's a 70-page, 60-page MIP that is that details everything we're going to talk about. Um, the um, 
so in the is, let me, and also to back up in, the, in when we were trying to figure out what was going on uh, or or figure out a way to work together, our primary concerns with anything any, and this is you know cryptocurrency you know conventional lending is that we have we have to protect the um, public's money right we take deposits and we cannot lose those deposits. So we have a fiduciary responsibility to the communities we serve to protect them as best as we possibly can. Now, part of that is also making income so that we can continue the bank to survive and thrive and grow. And so that you know, is, is one way of also you know, protecting that. And when you're a smaller organization, um, you have limits on what you can do. So there's, there's um, legal lending limits that um, is, is the technical term in the sense that like, you know, if I was going to go out and lend money, you know, to the, to the, the public, um, I couldn't exceed certain dollar amounts. And that is also to make sure that the bank doesn't fail, right? We learned a lot of things during the great <laughs> depression great, uh, going back when banks failed. So um, like you wouldn't want Huntington Valley bank, which has half a billion, just call it half a billion for a sake of argument of assets to go lend out a half a billion dollars, right? If that one deal went bad, the whole organization would go bad. So with maker um, and some of the dollar amounts that they were talking about, our first concern was we have to scale this down a little bit to make sure it works because we don't want to do anything that would jeopardize the bank or jeopardize maker. You know, so we, we're very careful about that from the first from from the get go. And one of the ideas that you know we we eventually landed on when we we're trying to figure out a way to to use this debt um, the debt, debt vault structure was to say we work with a lot of other banks. Right. So if Caitlin, you wanted to buy a $12 million, you know, investment property in New York City, right? Just just assuming that we are say Philadelphia, because we probably wouldn't, you know, be in New York City. But if you um we could not do that whole loan ourselves. We would bring in a partner bank and then jointly the two of us would fund that deal. You would work with Huntington Valley Bank, but in the backgrounds, we would have a a, a syndication or participation with another bank. So this and that model has been around forever. So we said, well, why don't we take that existing model? Maker wants to, uh, and I'm, I'm just you know I'm oversimplifying this <laughs> a little bit, but and Maker wants to you know invest in these real world assets, and we'll say, all right, well instead of us doing a participation with a bank, um, we'll do the participation with the Maker DAO. Um, you know, and, and, you know, an entity was created. You know, I'll, I'll get to that later. And so that was like the the basic simple idea is that they would able maker would be able to leverage its funds um, without having to hire a whole system of people of loan administrators and underwriters and you know et cetera all, all the different people that it costs you know that 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 go into you know running an organization like a Huntington Valley Bank they wouldn't have to do any of that you know they would just be a participant in deals that we source that we underwrite that we book we close and then we service. And because the bank would hold a percentage of it, where we hold at least fifty percent, if not more, then there's also, you know, there's also a, 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 a not having like the right word, but you know, there's an incentive to also you know make sure that we are holding good assets and that they are buying good assets, right? So we never want to ever do anything that is not in the best interest of any of the different parties. So that's that's really the, the, the what the core was is that. This these funds would be like a co um, lender with the bank, but the bank essentially does all the work, 
and then um, but gets the benefit of, of having you know the the maker balance sheet as well. And they have quite the balance sheet, right? So I think that's something that you and I had talked about before before recording as well. That the end amount for the deal was a hundred million dollars. Is that where it started? How much were they originally trying to to shell out to you guys? And how does that differ from the relationships that you typically have with, say, another bank? So I so the only thing I would say, and, and uh, you know, obviously like we're a public company. You're a regulated company, so I always have to be careful with everything we say. But um, and also when we say they, maker, maker wasn't offering anything, right? It, there is a there's an intermediaries who were helping facilitate the um, transaction um, based on the communications from MakerDAO. So I just want to be you know just just to be clear, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. Um, we eventually work with Maker, but like you know, uh, and and they're. Gotcha. Yeah, I just, I just would be, you know, just be, just be careful, um, and uh, and the core units over there. But anyway, the, um, but yeah, they were, they were looking originally somewhere between like a half a billion and a billion dollars of what they are looking to to deploy, and um, because you know we are our asset base is, you know, it fluctuates based on you know timing and you know what's going on. But just say yeah, you know, again, it's a, a half a billion dollars. Like we, we literally could not deploy. A half a billion dollars of assets like there would be we would have to walk away from that transaction because it would not be in the best interest of anybody's party so we we scaled that back and said um you know if we are going to move forward we would like to test this out with a smaller facility you know and the hundred million dollars seemed like a, a, a something that we could deploy within a reasonable amount of time based on our run rate of of, of originations and you know where we see the bank going um and so and we and that was what we pitched. We just said, "Hey, we could we could do this level. We can't do that level." And it seemed like everybody was was on board with that. You know, at, 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 at a minimum, you know that it seemed like it was in the best interest of everybody's um, to be conservative. Because at the end of the day, like we're we're always this is one of the benefits. And this isn't like working with a you know a bank because we are so highly regulated. Like you know that you don't have to worry about a lot of different things. We're also conservative, right? We are going to make sure that we. Um, you know, we get the highest return on the most secure, safe assets for us and for them. Yeah. And it's something that you don't see on the native crypto side quite as much, just with it being such a nascent space with the regulatory component of it being, you know, very much uh, opaque, at least in the States in terms of, you know, how people can operate and the guardrails around it. Um, when it came to, or if we were, say we were a private equity fund or we were a hedge fund or a private investor, then you, you maker also, I don't think would have the confidence to know that those folks would have the best interest of all the parties because the interest might be different or might be uh, misaligned. At least in this, we are entirely aligned in generating a satisfactory yield on the safest assets possible. For sure. And let's talk about the considerations of, you know, going forward with this, obviously by this, the announcement went out in August of last year, I think I said, and it is now March of 2023. So very much, I would assume kind of through the thick of, you know, all getting that transaction, you know, done and getting all the logistics of it figured out from a regulatory perspective, from, you know, looking at this top down, 
this was one of the first deals of its kind, really. So how did you and your team go about creating the rules and guardrails for what a deal like this looks like and how to go about it? Because it seems like it had to have been, you know, not much precedence to go off of in terms of how this has been done before, right? To say the least. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And in fact, I would I would make the bold statement that it is the literal first of its kind to ever have occurred. I mean, it's it's kind of exciting for for all of us that you know to have been involved in this. Um, as soon as we realized that there were some legs to this, um, you know, because like I said, we get lots of lots of uh, opportunities for different investments that we most of it we say no to. But as soon as we realized we had legs to it, we immediately involved our CEO compliance, you know, right, right away, just because like anything you do inside of an organization like this, you you have to, you have to make sure that there's, we're not violating any rules or regulations, you know, we're protecting our clients and the bank and the the investors. So I I mean, right from the get go, I think everybody was involved. All the, all the people who needed to be involved were involved. That being said, then we had to fine tune a program that we believed that, that, the regulators would not necessarily accept, but they wouldn't decline, right? Because if, if think about it this way, if you're there's no upside potential if you're a regulator or a credit person or anybody to you know an auditor to ever really like approve something because you know you just don't. What's the upside of approving something? There's a lot of downside risk. So in a lot of these cases, you're always just not getting. A declination, you're not really getting, you know, so there's like a tacit, you know, um, acceptance. So the number one thing that we wanted to make sure of was liquidity. So if we had, let's go back to our example, like where I said, like, say you, uh, say you wanted to buy a a real estate, uh, you know, investment in Philadelphia. Well, say you had to construct that real estate, that, that investment, that building, and it was $12 million. So we gave you a $12 million loan um, but because it's a construction loan and there's 18 months of construction, you may only have a couple of million dollars outstanding at settlement. And then over the next year, it draws down. So that drawdown process means that we need to make sure there's funds available to fund that. So if we if we did a loan with Maker and they said, okay, well, the the you know, we, we participate in this, we're 50-50, but there's only X amount outstanding today, but there will be Y amount outstanding in the future, we need to make sure that there's that Y amount outstanding in the future. Otherwise, there's going to be a liquidity crisis. Um, so to resolve that problem, the liquidity problem, um, we gave Maker an option. We said we could look at this two different ways. We could look at this as a total commitments of the $100 million, right? So say $50 million was committed, but only $20 million was drawn. And please, by the way, just stop me if anything is like, if I'm getting uh, too in the weeds. But um that they would then fund that amount, pre-fund that amount, so that you know that that we could make sure that there was always a sufficient amount available, or they could fully fund the whole hundred million dollars. So we, we gave them the option of one or the other, and they decided to fully fund the full one hundred million. Now the next question you might say is like, well, fully fund where, where, you know, who, what? Because this was actually one of the most fascinating parts of the whole process is that. You know who is MakerDAO, right? What is MakerDAO? <laughs> and it's a protocol, right? I mean, there's it's a decentralized protocol, so there's no Mister MakerDAO or Mrs. MakerDAO who who is making a decision. Um, there's there's essentially like no legal entity. So um, there is a trust that was set up that that we that by by Maker is part of this process, 
that is the actual party to the facility. So there, so there's a trust held at another bank who is the trustee and, and has all the trust powers. Again, that's completely independent from Huntington Valley Bank. And that um, trust, the beneficiary of that trust is the MakerDAO protocol. So the MakerDAO protocol funded, um, you know, issued $100 million a die. That die was converted by Genesis uh, into dollars. And then those dollars were funded into this trust account. And then that trust, you know, which is a legal entity, is our participant in these transactions. So they fund the, the principal for the, the loans. And then we fund back to them um, any of the, you know, the, you know, the payments, the interest, the, you know, the, you know, essentially the, all the income um, back. And then that, then they convert that back to die. That then goes back to maker. What a process. <laughs> I just can't imagine being in the conversations of trying to figure that out. Right. So you look at this Dow. How do you think about it? Right. To your point, what is it? How does it work? There's no one person to go to, to talk about these things with. Right. Um, right. And there's no, you know, central point that you can be having these conversations with. So there's a lot of hoops to jump through from that regard. And someone had to be the first. So I guess it was going to be HVB, but that's, that's something that you're never going to get around in the crypto space. If the ethos of it is around decentralization and, you know, not having the power in the hands of a very small group of individuals, you're going to run into this issue time and time again, in a variety of ways. And it's interesting to think about how you work through it. And there are ways clearly because you know, yeah, and I was, and I was saying, and the way that Maker, uh, sorry, and the way that Maker solved that problem is they created the core unit structure, um, where they essentially voted on and created said these these folks all across the world are our experts in finance, and so they're going to be our finance core unit. They're going to review this whole transaction for us, help structure it, work with the bank, and then present that whole package for approval by the community. So they, it's it's interesting that you have this little bit of centralization, like because you, you need to, right? Because if you had a hundred thousand people vote on every single transaction, every single thing, like it would be nothing would ever happen. So there has to be some sort of specialization, and that's who we work with. We work with you know really a group of wonderful people at Maker who helped move the transaction along, and then and then queued it up for the subsequent votes by the community at large. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot more sense. You have to have it a little bit more organized than just a group of tens of thousands of people to vote on every single. Right. Right. I, 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 yeah, that would be in, in anything. I mean, imagine in the United States, if everything was voted on, you know, I mean, like nothing would ever be done. That's why we have representatives. Yeah, exactly. That's a different, that's a different conversation, but. Yeah. Very different. Uh, so make your fully funded that hundred million. Fast forward to today. Everything mm -hmm. with, you know, that entire transaction. How did that end up working out? Where are you at today with HVB and this trust? What does it look like today? Well, so wait, can I just say two funny things? One is that we believe this might have been one of the most regulated transactions ever because you had um, the FDIC, Federal Reserve, the SEC, FINRA, because there was a broker dealer, you know, right, involved. Um, there was somebody else as well. I forget. Um, and then on top of that, we had to, we helped um, clear some of the, the, you know, the um, KYC, you know, know your customer, uh, AML, anti-money laundering issues, because when the, when everything was finally approved and then Maker was getting ready to fund the, the funds, 
um, they split it up into four $25 million tranches. And after the first one funded, so they, they minted 25 million and die, sold it, and then, you know, process it. And then in the middle of that process, the tornado went down the tornado, uh, uh, coin. Um, yeah. And so, and there was all this, you know, angst you know with a lot of people like saying like uh oh like you know what what's going on here and it 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 paused it for a moment particularly with genesis who is i know subsequently has had issues in other areas of the the company that i don't really know a lot about but you know but the people we worked with on the trading side they were fine because we everybody got together and we we worked together to figure out and make sure that everybody was comfortable on the KYC AML side and then and then and then finally closed but there was definitely like a couple of weekends of like hand wringing um, and working uh, really around the clock to make sure that uh, it it it, um, it settled. So um, since then, because um, uh, what do we? So that was July. It closed. Like technical, like the technical closure was July, and you know we had a couple of things queued up to to sell into it at that time, um, and. What we wanted to do is we wanted to look at okay, well, here's a couple of different types of of loans that go into this. Let's see how each of these works because the, the the very last thing we wanted to do was have a major problem and create an issue, both for us but also for the maker folks. I mean, we're we're really trying to be sensitive to to them as well. So you know, we tried like um, like a like a conventional mortgage, a line of credit. You know, like looked at these different things, something that had like a couple different layers of participations, um, and um, and so rather than, oh, and also I just want add one more thing is that we also fought very hard that um, one of the benefits of working with a bank is that we have a very wide diversification, right? So, I mean, we have <laughs> part of being regulated is that we have certain percentages that we can invest in, in in different areas, right? So you don't want to have a bank only have, uh, you know, all of its loans are to, you know, uh, public storage, right? I mean, that like you, you don't want to have a concentration like that because if the whole public storage industry goes down, then the bank goes down. So what our loan portfolio is very well diversified. Um, and so we said your portfolio should also be very well diversified. And so essentially you want the maker facility to mirror the diversification of the bank's asset pool. We also... <laughs> um, because we spent a lot of time, and this is going backwards. We spent a lot of time saying this is the first transaction of its kind, and we want to protect Maker and other folks like Maker in the future from um, from being taken advantage of. So we said, okay, let's take our Huntington Valley Bank hats off and say if we were going to advise these folks on the best way to proceed, and 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 you know, re regardless of who the party is, how would we structure this? And so we came up with. I don't know, um, you know, a dozen different metrics that like the only way a loan could be participated is if it hit each of these metrics. Some of them were credit quality. Some of them were performance. Some of them were, um, you know, economic based. Um, so that way, like they would never be uh, like, say Maker did another deal with a bank somewhere else in the country that had a lot of bad assets. And those bad banks said, hey, we'll put all these bad assets in this deal. This would prevent that from happening. So, you know, we, we we carefully structured it to protect them and also to, you know, um, make sense for the bank. All that being said, uh, and I know that like Maker probably would want this to move faster, um, but it, it really, 
any uh, the concern about going any faster is that then you start you know moving the guardrails and then you know then you're introducing a problem that you know potentially could be a bigger problem later so i i, I fundamentally believe that we 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 took the time to do it right on the front end so that it's it's working well now and and it is i mean we're we're um you know, we had a, um, you know, slowly, you know, put some, you know, did some partnerships, participations, some assets into the fund, um, made sure those worked, right? So we had a, you know, a month or two of making sure that everything worked back and forth and there was no issues. And we're still fine-tuning some of the reporting. And now we have queued up a number of other, um, uh, there, there's a pipeline of stuff that is that is going into it as well. Now, of course, in the midst of all this, interest rates uh, <laughs> have increased at historic rates, right? So you went from March March to March, um, I think prime rate more than doubled in, in the US. Um, treasuries have more than doubled. Um, you know, all sorts of things have changed. So that can have a double-edged sword, right? Because in the fourth quarter, I think everybody nationwide slowed down as you know, is every investor and borrower and company owner said, okay, well, let me see what's going on here before I move to the next step. So you had a little bit of a slowing in the fourth quarter. But then the second thing is, is like, you know, what does that look like for yields and for structuring and, and making sure projects work? So all that feels like it's not entirely behind us, but at least like, it seems like the investment community, the business communities have a little bit more of a handle on that than what they did, you know, with the fourth quarter of 2022. So, so that being said, you know we have a couple of really fantastic uh, relationships that are that are we're partnering with them on. Um, that the yields are really strong because Prime is so strong at the moment. Um, you know, because of the you know with the fixed versus floating, and um, um, and it seems like it's working well. I mean, we're 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 really happy with them, and you know, hopefully they're <laughs> they're very happy with us. But it being a Dow, you don't really know because there's no right. <laughs> nobody to call to you know make sure. <laughs> You have to send out a poll, right? <laughs> yeah. yet. Now, as the, the, the only danger with that, though, is that we all know, like in our internet age, is that as soon as you put something out there in the public in a forum, you know, you, you might always get you, you run the risk of always getting like the lowest common denominator, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean, like commoner, right? Yeah, yeah the, the, the people who feel the most strongly about commenting on on uh, venues like that are usually the ones who feel the most strongly, and usually. The most right. strongly in a negative way. Right, so, right. There's not a lot of people who go to Yelp and say how much they love a restaurant, but there's a lot of people who say they don't like it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so maybe maybe you guys don't do that. Uh, and just assume that all goes <laughs> well, unless told otherwise. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thinking about this from both the HBB side, and of course, I know that you're not um, part of MakerDAO by any means, but um, what is the view on transactions, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to say partnership really be the right word, but situations like this moving forward, both from HVB side and from what you've seen or heard from Maker, is this the type of relationship that you see happening continuously? Do you see this being a bit of an outlier event that you may not necessarily pursue again in the future? How is your team looking at, you know, the future of traditional finance with HVB and working with people on the crypto side or groups on the crypto side? Uh, yeah, I can't speak for Maker because I don't, you know, I don't know how, um, you know, what the interest level is going to be, um, you know, with, with real world assets and, and their investment going forward. Um, and, and, and I hope that they continue going down this path because, 
because we're we're at the at the very beginning of this era of 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 traditional finance and DeFi, you know, coming together. Um, you know, when I talk to people, I always say like, until you can buy a you know a cup of coffee with you know your cryptocurrency like and, and drink it, like you you like it it stays in the digital world. Like you know, there needs to be like a merging of these two things. Um, I will say in the in the course of this whole process, um, our chief lending officer myself did the intensive um, cryptocurrency um, um, course at MIT, the online course. So we got like a crash course in crypto and and coming out of that, um, and I know I'm, I'm not entirely answering your question, but coming out of that, like there was some, I mean, there are some really, really exciting things that you can do in the blockchain, like it, particularly with with regards to, you know, electronic transfers of, of, of money, right? Where, you know, you can track and transfer across the globe in a way that like we can't really do it or do it as easy or as securely with the traditional models. So, you know, outside of Huntington Valley Bank, you know, just as a financial system as a whole, you could see how the blockchain and Web3 is going to revolutionize just inter-entity monetary transactions um and 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 who knows where that's going to go i mean but but that is like really exciting stuff but in that whole vein if that's the case then you know why why aren't there more opportunities to use you know the digital balance sheets um for other other areas of finance right or or derivatives and i, I think you're you know you're at the forefront of you know that whole you know um, aspect of it but so, so, so the short answer is we would work with somebody again, absolutely, because from this experience and also from just seeing where we are in this this digital uh, economic uh, landscape, you know, we're 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 moving in that direction. I absolutely agree, and I it's it's refreshing to you know hear from people on the traditional side who are really gung ho and excited about all of the opportunities because. Like you mentioned at the beginning of this, and I had explained it to anyone the same way as you did, what crypto and blockchain are enabling, it's really just a continuation of everything moving towards what we're seeing today, this very digitally native world, breaking down barriers across you know, different countries, different continents, regardless of where you are, and making that frictionless. And this is just another step in that process. I think we really try to overcomplicate it with a lot of the, I don't want to say noise, but a lot of the, um, a little bit more out there innovations that we've seen on the crypto side that might get more of the headlines. But at the root of it, I mean, that is really what this space was at least originally brought about to to solve for and to improve. So I, it's refreshing to hear from someone at a bank that, you know, was open to doing a transaction like this initially say that this is where the puck is going and we want to skate in that direction because I think there are a lot of, you know, traditional institutions and traditional players that could be, you know, taking notes on that. I, one of the most interesting things I, I discovered out of this, because we got a lot of calls I mean, we got a lot of publicity and, you know, it was a lot of inbound, you know, conversations and, you know, people in different parts of the country and the world reaching out and having conversations is how many people are quietly working on similar things that like there's there's like you said there's the public kind of you know headline grabbing stuff but behind that and it's like you know like the it's that's like the tip of the iceberg you know underneath the water is a lot of institutions and a lot of momentum moving forward trying to solve some of these problems 
And and this problem that like, you know, Maker, I mean, it's not a problem, I mean, but like, you know, Maker saying that, okay, I have all, you know, I have these, this giant reserve of, of funds. How do I best utilize this reserve in a way that preserves those funds, but also creates a yield um, and, and a diversification? Um, it, it's kind of a brilliant idea to, to, you know, start investing in real world assets and also then now queue it up. Now, here's the interesting thing. Maker now has a direct link with a traditional regulated financial institution, right? So, I mean, it, it's, you know, like we're talking a lot about like us going that way and how we can benefit. I mean, but Maker now has, you know, this connection and this relationship. And so I'm sh- and surely there's other ways that that can be expanded and 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 also um, that, that they can benefit from. That brings about a more general point, not even necessarily talking about Maker specifically, but from a regulatory standpoint, I know you are not crypto native. You're viewing this from more of a traditional lens, though, which I think would lend an interesting perspective. How do you see, you know, crypto regulation moving forward when you've been involved in transactions like this, right? You see the merging of it. You see that it's inevitable. You see, you know, from the conversations that you've had that there are traditional entities interested in this, but there still is a stigma for many people around the crypto space, understandably so. And the way that a lot of these different projects and DAOs and, you know, protocols operate. So I know we talked about self-regulation a little bit offline. I think that's an interesting conversation we could get into here among anything else you want to add. Yeah, I would, I would say I, I am not a, you know, in, in, in my career, I've met lots of bankers who are like anti-regulator. I, I, I'm not anti-regulator at all. In fact, I'm pro-regulator because First of all, these are folks who have very, very difficult jobs, you know, um, and they don't get the, you know, the benefit of doing some of the more fun and exciting things that we do. So, like, I have a lot of respect for the people out there who are really smart people who are spending a lot of time trying to regulate institutions. And if people understand that regulation is about protection, not about making your life more difficult, then then I, you know, I think that little bit of reframing um, uh, of, of the conversation might help. And and if this a year ago, I I think that the crypto community probably would have had less of a patience for it. But we've seen a lot of people lose a lot of money in the past year, right? And and, and this is exactly what the, the the regulatory community is trying to do. They're trying to protect you. They're trying to protect me. They're trying to protect my neighbors. They're trying to protect you know the you know, the, the, the you know, retired folks on a fixed income and, and the, the, fir- the person who's investing their first, you know, thousand dollars, they're pra- trying to protect them from losing everything um, because there might be some people who were acting irresponsibly or who were bad actors or who didn't think through all the consequences of what they're doing. So it, regulation is not bad. Um, you know, it, 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 is, it is meant to help all of us. And, and I think that is a really important point. And I hope that really gets out there because then it creates a situation where when you know the rules, the sky's the limit, right? Um, and we should have a couple of rules that say, I shouldn't take your money for my benefit, right? Like nobody wants that, you know, uh, maybe the person who gets the money does, but, but you know, the, it doesn't help our society and, and economy at large to have those types of, I mean, the, the, what's the guy, the FTX guy, right? I mean, the guy gambled with a lot of people's money and it's really sad. I mean, there's a lot of people who lost a lot of money and that's really sad. Um, and um, there should be consequences to that. So one, but one of the things that like the community could do is 
like if you if you are so concerned if, if the community is so concerned and this is just my opinion i just <laughs> preface that by saying but if the community is so concerned about regulation then the community should offer up suggestions on how to regulate versus like waiting for whomever to regulate them right and um you know that that crypto course that we took at mit was taught by gary gensler and um I can't forget. I forget the name of the other the the woman, but but I mean, you know, both both excellent, smart, smart people. Um, and now, you know, he's the head of the SEC, and he has a you know a, a really good understanding of the crypto space. Um, and um, so a lot of his actions have been based on this of trying to protect people from the stuff we just talked about. So so if there was um, if there was anything the crypto space could do um, would be to say maybe form a, you know, a coalition and start jumping ahead of the, the issue rather, rather than complaining and then not doing anything and then being dissatisfied when you, you don't have a seat at the table later on. It's such an interesting mix um, that you see within the space as well, right? Because the people that are, you know, very aggressively like anti-Gensler, I can't say I'm particularly a fan if we're being honest, but um, like the, the very, openly explicitly against regulation or you know not happy with how it's being handled at least in the states you see that more often than not right because it's a little bit more of the polarizing content commentary but you know that being said to your point on being a little bit more self-regulatory a little bit more proactive there are definitely actors within the space who would gladly chime in on that for sure and i think have a bit but it's more of that sort of like people say like based content, (laughs) you don't, you don't see that getting as circulated, right? Cause it's not the sexy stuff. It's the stuff that matters, but it's not going to get, you know, people all fired up and, you know, arguing more about something that is already a heated topic. So I definitely agree on that. You can't wait around forever and offer up solutions rather than complaints is definitely a good way to go about just about anything. And especially in the U S I can't really speak to, you know, other jurisdictions, but there's a long way to go when it comes to crypto guardrails and implementing rules. Well, I don't think, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like the, the, the government yet knows who is going to even regulate it. Right. So that's, I mean, it's like the first like start there and then, um, you know, trickle down and, and we have, again, not that, not to continue being pro bank, but if you think about the banking industry and, and, you know, the investment banks, you know, all that, I mean, you have a, 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 industry that's been around for several hundred years, right? And has fine-tuned capital delivery in a way that like nothing else has, right? And not even like the private equity, any of that, because that's, they have different, so, you know, you have, and then you have, you know, regulators who've been fine-tuning their specialization for a couple hundred years as well. So like, there's a lot of really good institutional knowledge understanding out there of how to protect the public while creating um, the platform for future growth. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm an optimist. So like, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I think the world needs more of those for sure. And especially, you know, if you think about crypto and you think about the, you know, the innovations that you and I have talked about and the potential that it has to really, you know, improve on a lot of the systems that we use day to day. There, in as you know, too, it's decentralized. There's no fully shutting that down. It's finding a way to work with it in a way that does protect people. Um, it, like to a reasonable extent, like our traditional financial system. So yeah. definitely a lot to think through there. Yeah. I, and, and again, go back to the FTX, 
if you ask some folks who, you know, some, some people who had money on hand at FDX who've lost everything, ask them what they think about regulation right now, they might have a very different tune <laughs> than, than what they would have, you know, six months ago. So, but hopefully there aren't that many costly um, um, lessons, right? That we can, we can learn some lessons without having even worse things happen. Yeah, that's the unfortunate reality is a lot of the time it takes a very extreme situation to get, you know, that drastic reaction and actual, you know, bring people to action to really fix things and provide clarity sometimes, which is unfortunate, but. Absolutely. And then, then, but but on the flip side, that's why you have us who are very careful, thoughtful, um, you know, you know, really want to make sure that this facility with Maker is absolutely successful so that it creates a framework for something else. The, the, whatever the next, you know, iteration will be, you know. That's the part that I, I find in coming from the traditional side and going into crypto, um, a really interesting juxtaposition from people who come from a very highly regulated space versus those who don't. Um, those who maybe were in very, very different industries before working in crypto, what whatever it might be, the mindset around the, this whole idea of moving fast um, it means different things to different people. And you see people, you need sort of a group of people to balance out the ones that are very much on the move fast and break things side, because there are consequences to that. And that you have to balance out that, you know, the speed of innovation and the speed of, you know, really wanting to just try things and put them out into the world and iterate on them. There needs right. to be some thought put into the process around making sure that it's done reasonably. So it's not the sexy point of view at all, but it's, it's the way that things need to be approached if you want it to be sustainable. Yeah. Well, so our philosophy might be move quickly and maybe crack them. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't rule off the tongue quite as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. <laughs> I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll uh, workshop that a little bit. Yeah, no, we'll we'll brainstorm on it after this for sure, but I like it. So last last thing I want to ask you about too, again, coming from the traditional side, having a bit of a different viewpoint from a lot of the people that I tend to talk to who have either like made the transition over to crypto, working in DeFi, whatever it may be. Um, what do you see as, you know, you mentioned a lot of the potential for blockchain and crypto in the future. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for traditional institutions like an HVB? to get more integrated into this, this up and coming DeFi space? Hmm. Um, that's a great question. Um, the specifically for banking, I think there's, there's the payment processing side of it where, you know, the security of payments, the speed of payments, um, you know, the, um, uh, the tracking and, you know, the, all the, um, um, uh, you know, the ability to, you know, like the ledger based side of it and the blockchain with the payments where you can go back and see literally where everything you know, moved. Um, but also just the instantaneous global network of it. I mean, that's, that's going to be huge, but, and that's, but I mean, that's still very early stage. Uh, like, so I don't, I can't see like, a. Um, other than maybe like a giant bank, one of our, you know, our huge, you know, city chase, you know, wells, I imagine like one of them would probably like, like those, the folks who brought uh, Zelle, you know, I mean, yeah. I could see, I could see those institutions coming up with something um, that then trickles down through the whole system. But the other side of it, 
and and that is going to come. I mean, I like you know, if we had this conversation in five years, I think we'll be like, wow, that was old hat at this point. Um, the other thing though is the um, um, which which I, it was really exciting to me, and, and, and what I love um, is the uh, lateral side of it. That like linking um, um, the linking linkage and tracking of collateral back to or the securitization of collateral back to the you know the um, the uh, financial instrument um, because like if it, you know just take if you were shipping copper around the world right yeah, and you're lending money on that copper you want to make sure that copper gets from A to B. So if there, getting to the, and there's, again, there's a lot of like, kind of like um, uh, problems that need to be resolved related to this. Like, how do you connect the digital tracker to the physical asset? Um, but there's people who are working on that stuff today as well. But I mean, just the imagine, like if you had real time access to all of your assets anywhere they were in the world and, and clean, clear title to that and tracking of it. I mean, that's huge. I mean, it's huge. I mean, a lot of like the losses that institutions face is because, you know, of, of the disposition of, of the collateral um, side of it. And then um, just the last thing is just like the, the, the new products that are going to come out of it. You know, like imagine, imagine like a, 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 a fully crypto native home mortgage, you know, I mean, that will, that will come one day, right? Somebody's going to figure out how to do that. And that's going to be, you know, a, a product that, you know, if you have all your assets in cryptocurrency, you make all your money in cryptocurrency, how do you get a home mortgage today? Right. It's almost impossible to do it because it, it's not complying under, and I'm not a, I'm not a residential mortgage expert by any means. So like, you know, don't, don't take this as a, you know, gospel, but, but I mean, there will, there will, it, you could see that there will come a time where there's going to be a digital, you know, uh, um, fully blockchain, you know, um, mortgage product. And then, and then just layer in all the other things, you know, um, beyond that. So it, it's, it's hard to say like, you know, what's next because there's like, it's completely wide open. The field is completely wide open on what's, what's going to happen next. Possibilities are endless. It's definitely fun to be in the position to be thinking about these things now, just because you think of all of the like, revolutions like tech wise that have been very disruptive to society and we're sitting straight in the middle of it now and i'm not like a rah rah like very aggressive maxi on anything i don't really find that that's typically productive but it really is something to be excited about and i think that when more people realize that when they really dig in and learn a bit more about the possibilities of it for what's really practical right. there, there's a lot to think about there and we're literally scratching the surface like what we talked about today with HVB and Maker is just the start of that intersection. And there are so many possibilities there that we haven't even thought of yet. Well, and you just, you had a great word, this is the practical side of it. So, you know, practical solutions to new and old problems without like burning down the whole system yeah. is, is what's going to be the most successful. Definitely agree. And we're kind of more in the experimentation phase right now with a lot of the stuff that we see people focusing on on more like gaming and metaverse. And, you know, there, there is there a place for that? I don't know. We'll find out in 10, 20 years. But, you know, people are going to at some point come back to first principles. And there are people working on this of how do you really change, you know, the fabric of what's most necessary and like where this makes the most practical sense. So, yeah, um, very excited about that. Got a long, long way to go for sure. But Dan, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back next week with another episode. Great. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency.